Hi everyone. Philip and I are taking a break from the Spiritual Warfare series just to finish the year. We're working hard on trying to get the content put together properly. So in the meantime, we are going to post a few mini casts and we will pick back up with the Spiritual Warfare series in 2020. Crosscast minicast. Okay, everybody, welcome back. I am Adam, he is Philip, and let's jump right into this. So here's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about this idea that church is not all about you. If you're going to church with this idea of what are you going to get out of it, or how could the pastor better teach to me, or how could the worship band better please me, that you're going about it the wrong way. And so we want to take the opportunity to kind of flesh that out and make that point in a very clear, concise way using the Bible. So what we're talking about is how the church is really designed for God and God is designed for the church. And that's based off of the marriage paradigm that the Bible talks about and how the church is the bride of Christ. Ergo Christ is the bridegroom to the church. So the bride doesn't come to the husband and say, let me tell you all the ways that you could be a better husband. Let me tell you all the ways that you could better please me, better serve me, do things better for me. Maybe in modern day America, but definitely not in a biblical standpoint. In the Bible, it refers to uh, the bride or more often than not Israel being God's people, but it refers to them as an adulterous bride. Um, one that's run around on God, one that's cheated on God and then comes back to them and he loves them all the same anyway. So a, adulterous bride is not going to come to a husband and say, Oh, you want me anyway? Well, guess what? You got to do this and you got to do this and you could do this better and you could do no. An adulterous bride should come to her husband humbly surprised that she's still accepted surprised that she's still desired and accept whatever the husband gives. And in this case with Christ being the husband, he gives everything. Right. This is an excellent topic to address the issues that we see in mainstream Christianity within America. Our society is so aimed at focusing in on the me. It's focused in on self-satisfaction, self-pleasure, self-seeking, motivated draws and temptations and desires. And the church caters to that, and we call it seeker-friendly churches. That's the Christian terminology or vocabulary word that we use, a seeker-friendly church. So very quickly, what happens is the church, it begins to shift and move or slide its focus and its efforts to just what you're saying. If an individual comes in off the street, wants to attend church, and they have this me-focused attitude, please me, and do it in the manner that I want, well, guess what? That church is trying to do just that, to bend the whole service, to bend the whole, this is what we have to offer you. Think about that phrase. So that way you come and join and stay, and you be a part of, so that way we can service you. Right. And where that problem comes from in America is we have a wildly consumeristic mindset. Um, we consume everything. I heard Louis Giglio speaking one time. He spoke about how, as the CEO of Six Step Records, which he is, he has his own record company or record label, and he sees the trend. He sees the 
America is consuming worship and he has no problem with that because he's putting out worship. So he has no problem saying it. He has no problem saying America's worship consumers because he's providing the worship. He's seeing the sales. He's seeing how quickly people get past the last artist and need something new. Um, yeah, that's that old song, but now we need a new song. Now we need a new vibe on the radio. We need a Christian top 40 and now a top 80 and a top 100. Um, we need all these things cause we consume it cause that new hit song will hit the radio and every Christian will just play it to death. And now we need a new songs. We're tired of hearing that song and all the songs before it. And so we have this consumeristic mindset. We have this idea that everything offered is for us to devour as much as possible, as much as we want or as much as we need. And then look and then look up and say, what else you got? Exactly. And the church, if you bring in people off the street by tailoring to entertainment, fun activities, fellowship, social, you know, the things that would gratify one's flesh, then that's what it's going to take in order to retain those same people. If that's what you're drawing them in with, then you have to maintain that same song and dance, so to speak, in order to allow them to plant down and, and be a part of that church long term. So at what point do you shift into it's about God? And, right. you know, I think that we don't come overtly and say it. Now, some do, so please don't get me wrong. There's some extremes out there. But let's just try to keep it in the middle of the road here. I don't think that most churches come in and say, you know what, let's make it about the seeker and let's have a seeker-friendly church, quote-unquote. I think what they do is they say, we need more people here. How can we get more people in here? What would be a draw? What would be attractive? And so they get into this trap of beginning to compromise us towards God mentality. Like our focus is on God, not on us. And I think that's where you start losing the true discipleship and maturity in the Christian believer. Right. And you and I have both sat through church meetings where it is said, hey, the numbers are down. How do we get these back up? Everything's on the table. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let me hear it. What's your ideas? How do we get this back up? And at that point, you're making the church service receptive to ideas of serving people. I don't want to say serving people, but giving into the demands of people to look more attractive. Right. This is where your programs come in. Right. Well, we got this new program. It'll increase your attendance. This new program will increase your tithes and offering. This new program will improve your children's ministry or your, your youth ministry. And so they have these programs or this is a tactic or this is a draw or this is flashy and you know lights and smoke and better sound system, better comfortable seats or you know it's all these things that it's like, oh, cool. It's going on over there or this social event. You do this on this night and people love that. Again, I get where the motivation is, but I feel like we're walking the church into a trap. So we wanted to look at two specific things with the church, and this goes right into the believer, okay? All right. We have worship and what that means in the church service, and then we have the message and what that means in the church service and how we interact with that. So that's what we wanted to focus on because that's the two main things that you see on a Sunday in a typical church I guess anywhere, but you know, we're familiar with what's going on here in America. So we want to try to speak to this again. The church isn't all about you. Right. So let's start with this scripture. So this is first Chronicles 16, 23 through 31. It says, sing to the Lord, all the earth proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. 
Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. So there's really nothing special about this verse. The purpose of this verse is to make a demonstration. And you can take this to the entire book of Psalms, every Psalm in it, and you'll see the exact same thing. When the Bible worships God, it is entirely focused on God. There's no point in time that one of the authors would say, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And I cannot tell you just how satisfying it is to say that and how good it makes me feel to say great is the Lord versus holy is the Lord. Cause holy is the Lord isn't really my song, but great to the Lord is my song. Yeah. And it goes right into what we're saying. So an idol, an idol is anything that one person puts before the Lord right. as a priority, as their focus, as their worship. And it says in this passage that you just read, verse 25, for the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. That's little g. And then here it is. For all the gods, little g, of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens And I want to think about, again, taking this back to church, whenever you go into the church buildings and you go and worship and you're trying to come before the Lord, do you have these things that it's about you, your preferences, your styles, your choices that you're looking for, that you want more of? Those are starting to get in the way of the purpose of worshiping God corporately with song. Like you just said, the worship is to the Lord. Give, give. We see that multiple times here. Give praise to the Lord. And our focus is to the Lord, not about receive or take or consume. That's not there. It's completely the other way around. And so if we have this focus, we don't want to put our priorities in front of God. At that point, we're now making idols. Our idols are our desires and I want this first. And if I don't have this, then that's not the formula I need to worship God because you don't understand what I need to worship God. Well, in our satisfaction, the point we're trying to make here before we keep going is that worship is to be directed to God. And so in saying that to go with what Phil's saying, when you put yourself in that and you say, Oh, this worship song, I don't like this worship song or this style. I don't like this style and you separate yourself from worship based off the idea of your own satisfaction or your own taste or your own flavor, your opinion and your satisfaction takes the role of an idol in that moment because you're trying to satisfy that over just trying to simply say to God, you are this great. You are worthy. You are amazing. It doesn't matter in what key or in what manner we're saying it. I just want to join in. 
and say that you're great and say that you're worthy and say that you're amazing and say that the way that you exist is beyond me. I do not understand you. And that alone is amazing. That alone is inspiring. That alone is beyond me and greater than me. And you are powerful. You are all these things. And it belittles me. It dwarfs me and my opinions and my little tastes and my little consumeristic needs. And when you're trying to consume and you're trying to take something from worship for you, it's a flawed thought. It's a flawed moment because worship is all about you giving to God. Absolutely. We can't go into the worship service. (laughs) Think about that. Who are we worshiping? God, the focus of the worship. It's God. It's not you. It's not you. Whenever we come before the Lord, we need to recognize who he is. And again, we just read it. It says that, but the Lord made the heavens. He made it all. And just before that, he said, he is also to be feared above all gods, little g. So if you come in understanding who God is, again, the fear of the Lord, then you quickly strip away anything that you're desiring as taking priority or first place And instead, you're putting God's desires in his priority first place. And he demands to be worshiped and he demands to be glorified. And therefore, we do corporately in unison as we sing unto the Lord songs that are doctrinally sound and rightfully praise his holy name. And I like what Jesus said in John chapter 4, 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so there's two things here. You're going to worship him in spirit, and you're going to worship him also in truth. And so we'll look at these things. So first, the spirit. The spirit of God is holy. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within you because you're born again. You're born again. The Holy Spirit lives within you. The body's the temple. And therefore, that is how you worship him in that moment. It's not worshiping him in your own desires and opinions and the way that you need it. Because now that's about you. It's not about God within you. So whenever we worship to the Lord, we're fellowshipping and communing with his Holy Spirit as we give him praise and adoration. Right. And this is the point where I think a lot of people get... Uh, sideways in their approach to worship because you worship God by way of the Holy Spirit. Christ said, I leave so that the comforter may come, that the Holy Spirit may come. And, and when the Holy Spirit came and it settled on the apostles, the tongues of fire appeared above their heads. They went out doing ministry with great inspiration so that communion with God comes through the Holy Spirit. So when you're in a moment of worship, we have those moments where the Holy Spirit moves on you moves in the room and it makes everything intense. It makes the moment intense. It makes the worship intense and it makes it more memorable and more enjoyable. And I want to say enjoyable in a careful way, enjoyable spiritually, because you're really communing with God and you're really connecting with God. And the thing is that people will take that feeling and say, that satisfied me. And it was in this song or it was in that song. 
And that song really gets me, really takes me to that place. So when I come into worship, I want to hear that song or that style. I like when the music swells a certain way, or I like when this person sings. I love their voice, and it just really helps me get back to that moment I'm desiring to get back to. And there's nothing wrong with desiring that communion with God. I don't want that to be misconstrued. There's nothing wrong with desiring that moment of communion with God and that closeness to God and the Holy Spirit on you in that moment. But when your approach to it becomes, I'm coming here to feel that, not necessarily to worship God, not necessarily to commune with God, but to feel that feeling because it satisfies me or it gratifies me or it makes me feel like a good Christian, or it makes me just feel good, period. When you come into church looking for that, how can church make me feel better? How can worship make me feel good? How can worship satisfy me? That's where it becomes a problem. That's right. And whenever you look at two things you just said there, one is we're trying to reproduce that outcome, that product. It becomes formulaic where you're trying to program into this equation, if I have these key ingredients in this order, it equals the outcome is, the output is this feeling of gratification that I get, so you just wanna repeat the process. Boom, there it is, there it is again, I got that satisfaction again. Repeat the process, boom, that's doing it every time. We've got to run this every time because I get that satisfaction every time. It's almost like a drug, if you will. Like how, right. an, how an addict would want drugs. They want that same high. They got to do a little bit more and they keep chasing, you know, the, the experience. And I see that in worship in America. They want this experience, this experience, this experience. And it's about them. It's about them. So it's the formula. The other part of it is that we can get into this mode of, it's like what we already said, you're starting to drift more and more away from that time with God. And you're trying to get to that end product so we've got the formula trying to happen that gets repetitive and then our focus is it's about me and but yeah god you're part of the formula so god i need you in here to make this happen for me right so god's in there quote unquote right i, I got god in here this is worship this is about god's in it too and we're aiming in the wrong direction at this point we're supposed to be communing with him in spirit and our full attention needs to be towards him and our praise and adoration everything that we can to glorify his holy name and just sing songs in that direction. That's where, that's what's proper. That's what is being demanded of us, not to be in our carnal appetite for a fix. So God does not like these repetitive, vain things and things that are centered on us, this narcissistic, hedonistic. So it's self-centered and self-pleasure or pleasuring oneself in the sense of I need an experience. Right. Because I think I see this in America a lot where you have these quote unquote worship services. Sorry to use quote unquote on time because I'm trying to say that a lot of things have been mislabeled. Right. They call it a worship service and it's really not. It's antics. It's trying to manipulate the scene and the environment to get the feelings going and get the tears flowing and people down on the ground. And, and it's like, Oh, we're, we're just, we're in it now. You know, it's thick. It's like, it's contrived and there's a, 
a manufacturing of replication to get back to this moment that we had years ago. And we're going to keep pushing until we just crescendo and get there. And God's not into this repetitive vain thing. He talks about that in the gospels, but instead we want to get in with his spirit, truly his spirit, not what we think that his spirit is, but who his spirit actually is. It's simple, but yet we miss it by so far. So again, we worship him in spirit and truth. So that's, talking about the spirit here right and so when i was um 18 there was this moment where myself and three other guys that were friends of mine we were all the wednesday night worship band we were the youth worship band and there was a sunday when neither of the regular worship leaders were going to be in for some reason and they came to the youth band and they say hey would you guys do a sunday morning and we said yeah we'd love to do a sunday morning that's awesome because one of the guys in the band, his mom was the head of worship. And so it was really easy for her to be like, yeah, my, my son and his, their worship band can do Sunday morning too. And so we did one Sunday morning and previous to this Sunday mornings at this church had been driven by um, piano and drums and congos or something. It was very um, instrumentally lacking, if you will, which is not to say that you can't worship with those instruments. Don't get me wrong but they were trying to do the more modern stuff. And this is in 2003. So the more modern stuff would be your third day, early Chris Tomlin, early Dave Crowder band, stuff like that. So we did a Sunday morning and in the aftermath, I remember this very, very clearly because in the aftermath, there were grown adult men. I'm talking about in their forties and their fifties who came on stage to us. I mean, the moment the service was over and they were crying, grown men are crying. And they came up to us and they're saying things like, you know what? Thank you for being true to what God asked you to do in this service. Because the worship that morning was incredibly intense. And that's not to, you know, toot our horn or anything, but this is the point I'm going to make on this. In the aftermath, the people in the church said, yeah, we want them on the Sunday morning rotation too. And so we became one of three worship bands on Sunday morning. Every third Sunday we would lead. And it was because we had one great Sunday that people said, yes, put them in on the rotation. Right, to try to reachieve what you might have done in your formula. Exactly. Like, now you've become part of the formula and ingredient. Right, and really a lot of it was we were doing the, the modern songs the modern way. We had a drummer, we had a bassist, we had guitars. Our singer was an incredible singer. And so we had a much tighter to the original sound versus the other Sunday morning bands. And so... Yeah, it sounded more like the radio sound. So I think that went a long way to satisfy it. Plus just simply the fact that we were young, ambitious, and in love with worship at that time and didn't have the way of the world on our shoulders. So it was very easy to just love worship and love God and just do things freely without a lot of distraction in your life, not a lot of spiritual warfare dragging you down or anything like that. Right. That leads us right into the worshiping in spirit and in truth. And, right. And this, I, my mind goes to the people on stage doing a worship song, what are you up there to truly do? And I, I guess we can walk this back to the audience member in a church service, but I want to start at the leadership and worship. You're on stage. You're going to lead a congregation in a song unto the Lord. So it's easy for that person to say, well, I'm up here to lead you in worship. I'm going to lead you to worship God. Right. That's the banner. That's the statement. 
Now, I want to shift down a little bit from what is in your head and what you're trying to say to what's in your heart. Let's do this one foot, 12 inch drop and do a, a spiritual gut check on you. Yeah. What is going through your mind or what is going through your being, your soul, whenever you get on stage? And let's just go to the American worship leader. You've got a mic boom. You've got a guitar strapped around your neck and you're plugged in and you're facing the crowd and you're saying, I'm going to lead you in worship. <laughs> Come with yeah. me. Is this really about you leading to worship God or is this about you leading? Because I, I think that a lot of times, and I see it now, I've never led worship. I, I think one time I led by singing the lyrics, which I totally don't do too well. I mean, I can make a joyful noise and forget lines and stuff. It's pretty, it's a travesty, but God bless it. Um, it's difficult to do, by the way. I have major respect for worship leaders. I've tried, you know, I've messed with bass guitar a little bit and tried to lead worship. I really want to respect those who have that talent and ability because I've tried it and it's difficult. It takes a lot of coordination. So there's a lot that is achieved whenever you can get to that level and be able to do it on a nice level where it's not a distraction because you're missing chords and notes and you're forgetting lines and you're skipping to a different first and right. So, okay, and you're off key, okay? Because that's kind of me. I'm a wreck. I've only done it like once and then quit. I was like, yeah, not for me. <laughs> I'll wait till the worship's over, then I'll come on. <laughs> so the point is, getting back on topic here, you know, I think that as a man, as a woman, you're always going to be tempted in pride and in vanity and in image and acceptance and receiving the praise of mankind. Man, you did a good job in worship today. Man, that song really got me. I want you in every third Sunday, you know, those type things. And will you sign my CD that I bought of yours in the lobby or in the foyer? So with that said, every single day that you get in front of a crowd and you're going to, again, lead the congregation and song to worship God, you need to make sure that you're doing just that. And you may need to do it in between songs, get refocused and re regaze upon God and pray again out loud and just bring it back to God. It's not about you ripping this solo and have that nice tight band together and right on the cue and hitting the, the bridge perfectly and coming out of the bridge. Everyone's in unison when you drop it back down to just the acoustic. I mean, these things, the worship leaders are like, yeah, I know what you're talking about right there. The audience is like, what? They do that? That's coordinated? I thought it just happened. I thought the spirit's moving. <laughs> you know? But you know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm speaking to the worship leader. Do it in truth. God sees your heart. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows what you're trying to do. And if you're trying to take his glory, you're trying to take his adoration and the praise of man unto yourself. You're not going to say that and admit it, but that's what may be happening is when pride creeps in. What happens if um, everybody in the audience doesn't ever even see you? You have to play behind a wall. What happens if there's only two people in that room? Are you still going to yeah. put in the same amount of effort? Does it still mean the same thing? But it should because you're, you are worshiping the same God, right? You're worshiping the same God. God didn't change. Same God. So you should have that same worship to him if it was about him. Unless, like, no, nah, man, I need to see a faces and I need to rock them all because I heard that song back in the 80s or whatever. You see what I'm saying? It's like, what is your true mission on stage up there? Do you want me to speak to that or? 
<laughs> I mean, if you want to confess any sin at this point, <laughs> um, uh, let me talk about in two directions. So I'm going to come back to that. But so for me, worshiping in truth, I also think about the people in the crowd. I say the people in the crowd, the congregation. Yeah, the audience, the congregation, um, the souls that are gathering to supposedly have corporate worship. Right. So I don't know how many times I have, as a worship leader, been on stage, been in front of a crowd of 10 all the way to 1,000, you know, whatever it was at that particular night. And there are some people that you can see have an attitude of, I want to do that. I want to be on stage. I want to be the worship guy. Sometimes it's somebody who's very over animated, almost as if they're thinking in their own head. And if this convicts you, then, you know, so be it. But almost as if they're thinking in their own head, I'd be on stage. Look at how I wave my hands in the air and look at how I, you know, close my eyes and angle my head up at the 45 degree angle with that one hand out and the other hand on my heart and a small fist kind of pound on my heart to the beat. And although they're going through the motions, there are times that in their head, they're singing their own accolades. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I'd be a great worship leader. Even though in that moment you should be worshiping, not thinking about how cool it would be to be the guy on stage. So that's part one. And the reason I know so much about those people is because those people will come to you as the worship leader and say, hey, can I be in the band? Hey, can I sing backup? It's almost always, can I sing backup? Because they have some weird dream of, I don't know, being a rock star or pop star or something. And this idea of singing in church is like one step closer. Assuming, I don't know exactly, but it seems like everybody wants to sing. And I've had girls approach me about it in like youth groups and you talk with them and like, yeah, sure. You know, come sing with us next week. And then that next week they showed up. I swear to you in a hat a feathered boa that happened and sunglasses. It was crazy. Like, cause, cause that I was there, but anyway, like the prima donna just showed up and show me to my stage. Yeah. I've seen that. Yep. So I know that that happens. And so I know there are people that when they're worshiping, their head isn't in the worship. Their head is still in some kind of self-satisfying daydream. Well, they want to be a star. Yeah. And which is again, vanity about me. Things of that nature. So, but to get to the worship leader half, as a worship leader on stage, and I could give you examples of everything I'm going to say, but I want to save time. But let's just say that I could name a worship leader specifically that does each of these things. You have some people who, one, are absolutely amazing. And I know every worship leader is saying, that's my group. Yeah, that's me. I'm in that one. <laughs> there are worship leaders who are absolutely amazing and do a fantastic job of what I describe as fading into the foreground, which is difficult. Fading into the background, easy. Fading into the foreground in the spotlight, so difficult. It's very, very hard to, what we used to pray was say, God, let us be a mirror set to a 45 degree angle that shows the light from above and not what's behind it. It's very hard to do that. It is very hard. Not, it's not hard to do it on stage and present it it's hard to do it in your own mind. And so there's little things that I, as a worship leader who have been in that situation and been in that position and know what it feels like. There's little things that I see in other worship leaders that will grab my attention and I'll say, oh, right now he's losing focus. And I don't want to sit here and name these lists, but there are people that do fantastically at disappearing into the foreground like they're not even there. There are other people who are all but screaming 
this worship service is like my concert. All of you came here to see me. All of you love the way I sing. All of you love the way I play guitar. All of you love the way my band puts this music together. All of you love the way that we redid this song or I redid this old hymn. Do you love my version of that hymn? Heck yeah, you do. It's way better than the old Baptist version, which is the polar opposite of the first person. Then you have the third person who does a really good job of faking it. But in their own head, it's like they have something to prove. So even though they're doing a really good job of faking it in their own head, they have a need to be seen as a worship leader. They need the accolades. They need people to come up to them later and say, you did a good job. Oh, did I? Did I? High five. Awesome. Oh my gosh, I did a good job. There's a need for that. And then you have another person who is comfortable with the idea of like, I do a good job. I don't question this. But at the same time in my head during worship, I'm thinking about, man, I'm doing a really good job right now. Man, this is awesome. I hit that note. And your head kind of walks. And I think that's where a lot of people land as far as worship leaders. I think a lot of worship leaders land in that world of, I'm not overzealous. I'm not over self-gratifying. I'm not perfect at doing this. But at the same time, there's a little bit of me that thinks about me in the background. But for the most part, I think I'm doing this right. I think that's where a lot of people land. But to say all this, to worship in truth as a worship leader, you really want to land as that first guy. You want to be that guy that if you're in the congregation and he's on stage in front of you at the end of worship, you have no idea what he was doing because you weren't even looking at him. Yeah, I think this is a great summary of what we're trying to say in regards if you're leading worship, if you're part of the worship team on stage in front of people, or if you're in the congregation and you're worshiping, all these things can apply. People in the audience, your mind can drift. Yeah. You could be distracted by somebody on stage that you just start thinking and wondering about, like, why are they playing it that way? Or why did they sing that? Or, oh, they messed that up. Or, oh, they nailed that one. You know, why did they arrange the stage in that manner? Or you know, just anything. It could be anything. And I'm kind of focusing back on the, on the people on the stage, but it could be about the sound system or it could be about what you're going to do after church later. So our minds can drift. And we need to be focused on worshiping God, regardless if you find yourself on stage leading or if you're in the congregation corporately participating. It doesn't really matter. You need to be focused on the Lord. You need to be true with what's going on inside your soul. And maybe there's some repentance. There's songs that are excellent calls to repentance, and there can be those times whenever you repent of sin while you're singing to the Lord. There could be times whenever you focus on different aspects of the Lord. There could be things that you're just praising God's name over you know, he has victory over everything that exists. There's different things that you need to be participating in. But if you're wondering, or if you're, it's about you or what you like, Oh, I'm waiting for that one song to come up. Hopefully they do it this Sunday. Cause I'm not worshiping until that one comes up. You know, that's, that's not real beneficial for what we're here to do. Be truthful, be honest with what's going on. So worship, it must be based on pleasing God. It's not based on the worshipers. It's based on the one that we worship. And that's keeping it very straightforward. Right. And that's going to take us into Romans 8. So Romans 8 verse 7 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So what he's saying with this is the self-driven mind, the mind seeking to please the flesh or focus on the flesh is enmity against God. It stands against God. 
And so for me as a worship leader, I'm going to put it this way, going to back to what I was just saying, when you are the worship leader who gets on stage and this is my show, I'm here, I'm going to rock this out. I'm going to blow this up. Then I'm going to drop mic and exit stage left. Your mind, your focus is on you. And if you're that person in the audience thinking the whole time, I'd be great at worship. I'd be awesome. Let me go get my feathered boa and get on stage with them. Your mind and your focus is on you and satisfying your flesh, satisfying yourself. And what this scripture is saying is that that thought, that mindset stands against God, opposes God, is an enemy of God. Yeah. Because in that moment, you are robbing God of his due worship. You're trying to say, God, all this is about you, but come on, man. There's enough for all of us, right? And that ties right back where we can no longer worship in spirit and in truth. Exactly. That's it right there. I mean, you just canceled out that possibility because it's about the carnal pleasuring of self. And that's what we've been talking about this whole time thus far as we've been looking at worship. So now let's take a turn. So thus far we've been saying that worship is for God. It's not for you. Yes, it is satisfying whenever the Holy Spirit comes on you, but your aim shouldn't be to satisfy yourself with that. So what is for you? So now let's take a look at the second half of a service or what you would normally call the message or the teaching. So we're going to take a look now at the second half, but we're going to start with the scripture. Isaiah 55 verse 11, God says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. So this is the banner instruction and truth about a message when it comes from God. And I want to first just think about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we had prophets. And basically, this was before the New Testament. Remember, whenever Jesus Christ came the first time, he established the New Testament, the New Covenant. Whenever he was on the cross, something happened. The veil tore in the temple. The veil was basically the division of where the presence of God was dwelling in the Holy of Holies and mankind was beyond the veil out in the world, basically outside. And when the veil tore, this is whenever the Holy Spirit of God now was going to be available to all those who become born again and partake in Jesus's salvation that he provided via the cross and his resurrection. But before that, the arrangement was that God spoke to very specific individuals that he called his prophets and they would hear directly from God. Some of the big prophets that we always discuss and recognize very quickly, Moses was probably the best known prophet. You have Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all these others in the old Testament. Okay. Now then whenever God would speak to a prophet, he gives a very specific message. The message could not be messed up. It had to be exact. The prophet was not allowed to add to it or subtract from it. If the prophet was found to be lying, the word of God said that that prophet must be executed because he's no longer a prophet. 
a prophet is right 100% of the time because a prophet hears from God, period. Anything else is blasphemy and God executes that. So whenever a message is given to one of these Old Testament prophets, the prophet then goes to the audience that God direct that prophet to give the message to. And most often times, the message from God was an absolute inconvenience to the receiving audience. It was a difficult thing to understand. It was a difficult thing to do. It was something that was very cumbersome or a heavy demand by God to get rid of something that was going on in their life that they may have been addicted to or just completely immersed in. And so he's demanding repentance. He's demanding a change. He's giving a command to do something that seems impossible. And remember the audience, they need to receive this directly. And if they don't, then now they're in trouble. Ezekiel talks about being the watchman. If the watchman sees the danger coming and he gives the message and then they do not heed, well, then that blood is on their own hands. The watchman is free of the guilt and the blame because he did his job to give the message exactly. And so as the audience, you go to church, bringing this back into modernity in our modern times, the New Testament, we go to church. We're going to receive the message. Here comes the message. Now, if we're assuming that the pastor did a good job delivering the message, okay? So let's just assume that for a moment, please. And the message comes to you and you are resistant to it, or you only want the points in the message that you agree with, or the ones that are easy to do or easy to accept or easy to apply or easy to understand. Those are the ones I'll take in. You have this filter the ones that are inconvenient, difficult to understand, something that I don't want to put the effort in for, then no, those remain outside on the doorstep. And so now you're dictating what the message from God is to you. And this ties back into what we've been talking about so that it pleases yourself, so that it's comfortable to yourself, so that it's satisfying to yourself. So that way self, I can do this. I like this. I only do what I like. So now again, this narcissistic, hedonistic mindset and approach that, oh, it's about me. I'm a, it's about me and it's about what satisfies me. <laughs> I mean, that's what we're doing. And so we need to refrain from trying to censor and filter God's message to us because it's not about what we're willing to receive. It's about what did God tell us and let's go and find out everything that he told us and then heed his instruction. That's it in a very broad way to, to wrap it all up and say, this is where we're supposed to be when we go and receive a message. Right. So here's another side of that also is you were talking about cherry picking parts of a sermon. Like, oh, you know what, pastor, this is a little bit difficult for me, but this part over here, I like that because I'm getting that right. So let's talk more about that and less about this other thing that I'm dealing with, which comes down to your own comfort. Nobody wants to be uncomfortable in church. You know, so if you're cheating on your wife and the pastor shows up, starts talking about adultery and you start sweating in your seat, you're like, hey, pastor, could you not do that again? Right. And let me just interject a few other things. You're watching pornographic material and he talks about be careful what you're looking at and don't gaze upon things that are that would cause lust or you're living and cohabitating with your your girlfriend or your boyfriend and you refuse to get married. And he says cohabitating and having sex relationships outside of marriage 
as sin. So you need to keep marriage holy and only conduct physical intimacy in the confines of marriage. And then it goes like what you just said. Uh, can you please not talk about that one? Right. You know, can we get to where like God loves us and stuff? <laughs> you know, I mean, but I, I wanted to try to bring some more color to when this really begins to happen. And, and again, I'm, I'm speaking a lot for American people who go to church. I'm sure it happens worldwide, but I'm speaking to what I've observed and, and know about. But so your focus becomes in that moment, not receiving what God is telling the pastor to tell you, but instead you're basically saying, you know what, God, this thing that you're saying, I don't, I don't like it. I get that it's biblically accurate and I get that I'm sinning against you and I get that coming here, the purpose of it is to learn how to better serve you or better please you or come closer to you or have a greater experience with you. But if you're going to draw these kinds of lines, I just don't like it, which goes right back to like you were saying, self-serving. What satisfies me? Let's take a little bit lighter hearted approach. So maybe it's just simply you walk in the doors for the fifth week in a row that the pastor is teaching about the book of John. And you say to yourself, he, he taught the book of John three years ago. And now we're teaching the book of John again. Why are we spending so much time in John? Let's do Luke. I don't want to hear this. And you don't attend or He's teaching John again. What is this all about? And as he's making a point that again was put on his heart by God and he's trying to deliver this message, you're saying, yeah, just like you did last time. Same old points. And you're not being receptive. Now, here's the other part to that. You don't know if that message was for you because what we do know is that all scripture is God breathed and good for reproof and good for doctrine. And so no matter what he preaches, it can be applied to your life. You can learn from it and you can grow from it, even if you already knew it, but somebody else in the room not, might need to hear it. But you're not being respectful to that moment, i.e. you are disrespecting God and God's will because it doesn't make you happy right now. Yeah, there's so many scriptures that talks about God's word. Right. You know, we don't live on bread alone, but by the words that God gives to us, the instruction. We are expected to understand the value in God's word. God's word is everything. And with that established, then we should treat it as such when we are given God's word in a message, in a teaching, in some sort of sermon or whatever. As it comes to us, we need to receive it for what it is. It is God's word. We are to keep it in context and we are to apply it literally. We don't get the opportunity or the authority to screen different things in God's word if what is coming to you is God's word. And what I mean by that is, is that we are careful whenever someone is trying to teach you false doctrine and things that are unbiblical, unbiblical teachings, then that's where we filter that out and reject things that are not biblical. But again, like I said earlier, we're assuming that what's coming to you is accurate and biblically sound. So whenever that comes, that instruction comes to you, then you need to receive it. It's very plain and simple. But like the examples that we gave a moment ago, those are the times that we really need to take in that instruction because that is the area in our life that needs the 
most improvement or the action item that needs to occur within us. And God's telling us, hey, child, listen to me. This is my holy stance on this item, this subject in your life. Get in line. Repent of sin. Obey me. This is my instruction to you. Do not alter it. Receive it. And do it. Apply it. That's God to us. We don't get to sit and again, I don't know, let me think about that one. Yeah, I think whenever I'm ready to do it, I think I'll do it. How about that, God? I mean, we don't say that back to him, but that's what we're doing in actuality through our attitude and apathy and lack of response. We'll never stand up and declare it, but we're declaring it through action. And that's who we truly are. And God sees through that. So this is monumental in how a Christian needs to be receiving instruction through teaching. So let me speak a moment on obedience. First Samuel chapter 15, Samuel's talking to Saul. Samuel's the prophet. Again, message from God. Saul is king and he made a mistake and he sinned. So God spoke to his prophet Samuel and now Samuel's going to go to God's audience and now Samuel's audience, the king, for this message and it is inconvenient. Verse 17, so Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel and did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners and the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Now, there's so many different messages that we could preach right here and get instruction and wisdom. Number one, Saul messed up. Why did he mess up? Well, he disobeyed God. And then Saul even confessed, I was actually wanting to do what the people wanted. Again, think about this in the setting of a church. I know this is a parallel here, but is the pastor tailoring his message to what the people want? Or is the pastor fearing God and only giving the message that came from God, regardless of how the people receive it? And then the people receiving the message, are you going to disobey and reject what God told you to do in the beginning? Or are you going to receive it plainly? Who do you fear more, God or man? 
what do you put first place? Who's on the throne of your life? And so this instruction, when it comes, it needs to be heeded. And Saul says point blank, you disobeyed God directly. You did not heed the instruction. Therefore, consequences are rendered. And that's what can happen in our life whenever we are in God's house receiving his instruction. And as we receive it, we begin to again, filter out and only accept what we want. And then now we're in disobedience. And God says right here, obedience is greater than sacrifice. I want you to obey my word. And that's all of it. So when you find yourself in the house of God and you're receiving instruction from God, you better receive the entire message, keep the entire message in context and take it literally and apply it. And then you're now pleasing God the way that he saw fit, the way that he has instructed you, not in the way that pleases you or that's convenient to you or easy, or you know what? This goes right in line with what I was already doing. No change needed. Thank you, God. Because that's what we do. So God is going to lead you and guide you and direct you. He's the Lord. And if he is the Lord of your life, guess what? He's going to change things in your life. And he's going to say, hey, quit doing that. Get over here. Why? Because I said so. I'm Lord. And then you got to go do it. That's how it works. Not just like God blesses everything that I do. And I choose my path. Right. So whenever you think about how this is supposed to be, this is a wonderful story with so many parallels and interlaced points along the way about how we should be receiving God's message and then the consequences when we don't. Right. And that's going to take us right to John 10. I mean, John 10, 27 through 28, Jesus talking. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish nor shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And that goes right into that moment we were talking about a minute ago with you're in church. What the pastor is saying is convicting you. In other words, you're hearing his voice saying to you, this thing that you're feeling convicted about, this is wrong. And then what do you do with it? Because what's Christ, what Christ is saying here is he says, my sheep, like those who love me, they hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. In other words, where my voice tells them to go, they do it. They go, they take my leading. So that's going to come down to the level of submission you have in your life to Christ. How much do you submit to God in those moments? How much do you submit yourself to his will? Now that's just talking about the church. So now turning that over again, the other half of the message is the pastor. And like you were just saying there, Saul was saying, I was trying to please the people. And you and I have already stated in this episode that we've been at meetings where pastors have sat down, said the numbers are down. People are leaving. How do we put butts back in the seats? What do we have to do to please people enough to keep them here and bring more in? It becomes a desperate cry. Well, and what you start to see in a lot of these, again, seeker-friendly churches is a compromise of God's message to the public. Right. Because the public as a whole do not want to receive God's instruction. We know the world is at enmity with God. We know at large that the world persecuted Jesus, and in the same, they will persecute us as well. So we know that when you begin to bring the word of God directly to the public, it's going to be rejected. You will have a few that will receive God's word 
and then be obedient in repentance and then begin to follow God's word. That's right. That's the minority of the world at large. So we just need to keep on going. Now, I'm not saying that we should ignore being tactful and, and being focused on making sure that the listeners, the audience are able to understand and we're meeting them at their level. So if they know nothing about the word of God, then that's where we start with them. And then we bring them up. If there's someone who's been in service of God's kingdom and they know God's word greatly, well, we meet them there. But the bottom line is, is we continue that journey through the word of God with them without compromise, the full counsel of God's word. So that's the obligation. And let me say something about the pastors, the teachers. They have a huge responsibility to God. They have a much more harsh judgment. And I want to read one verse. James chapter 3, verse 1 says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Right. And it goes on in that passage, and it talks about the tongue and things that can happen whenever we're not in self-control and watching what we say and so on. But the bottom line there is very plain and simple. These pastors, they're under a heavy burden in ministry. They're under a heavy obligation to be accurate representations of God as they give the message to the public, as they lead people in counsel and advice. And if these pastors are not treating that position with respect and humility and in the fear and admonition of the Lord, James chapter 3 verse 1 says, you shall receive a stricter judgment. Also, one of my favorite pastors is Matt Chandler, and I follow his podcast. His church is The Village Church. I listen to him teach a lot, and something he'll say over and over and over, I think I've heard it in, I don't know, at least 10 episodes, is he talks about how they do not want a lot of people as members of their congregation. They only want serious, legit people as a member of their congregation, and you kind of think, well, that's kind of backwards. Most pastors are trying to you know, stack the numbers, right? Well, they want a crowd. They want to be a rock star. You can't be a rock star right. unless you have a stadium full of people that are groupies and fanboys. Right, and what Matt says is he says, I don't want a large group of people. The reason why is because one day when I die and I'm before God, I have to answer for every sheep in my fold. Everybody that was under my teaching, I have to give an account for this. So if you're a member of my church, if you're in my fold, but your life with Christ has fallen apart, one day God's going to ask me and say, why didn't you chase after that sheep? That's very difficult to think about whenever you're considering the judgment that God's going to bring to people that stood in the pulpits and said, I'm a Christian pastor. Just as you said very clearly there, you have people in the church, where is their understanding of God's message? And pastor, what did you do? How did you impact or how did you become involved or how did you influence that individual in that direction? I guess I'm struggling to put the words here together, but what I'm trying to say is, is what part did you have in this? If you have these members that have gone astray, what part did you play in that? Did you have a hand in this? Were you leading them astray? Were you purposely censoring my message? 
especially the instructions of where I said, I am a holy God, repent of sin, take up your cross and follow me. Did you take that out? Did you tell them that there wasn't going to be a penalty for sin? Did you tell them that everything's okay and acceptable in my eyes? Okay, because that's the result that we got out of your congregation, Pastor. You said that you're a messenger on my behalf. I'm God. Here's my word, the full counsel that was right here. I gave it to you. I preserved it. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means will pass away. They will abide forever. It's eternal. This is where I wrestle, even as we do this podcast, that I don't want to censor God's word. I don't want to take a subject and say, oh, we're not going to talk about that subject on this podcast. Or this is my opinion, folks. I want to look at God's word, seek to understand it, and I pray to God that I successfully deliver his word accurately, and I don't want to misrepresent God. I don't want to do that. And so this is how you get this message transferred. You can't have any disruption or filtration of God's message. It needs to be pure, unadulterated, Jesus speak, God speak, truth. Right. Don't mess that up. Deliver it. You're not the chef. You're not the cook. You're the server. You come and you you basically present God's word, and that's all you do. You don't create it. You don't write it. You don't author it. You don't amend it. You don't retranslate it. You just bring God's word to the people, and you declare it, and you don't change it. And one of the biggest temptations, I think, in the modern day is because of our politically correct atmosphere is to take those subjects whenever people come to you with questions. You're nobody. You're not here to judge. You're here to take the word of God, interpret it black and white, and then repeat. And yet in this politically charged atmosphere where everybody, thanks to the Internet, is scared to say their honest opinion or scared to say anything that the populace might take the wrong way or might not enjoy or appreciate, we're scared to say things. We're scared to just come right out and say, God doesn't like this. Or, hey, you know what? God does like this. Because it goes both ways. Hey, God does not like premarital sex. You know what God does like? God likes chastity. Neither of those are publicly satisfying statements. God doesn't like premarital sex. Oh, well, I do. God likes chastity. Oh, I don't. And you're scared to say that. As a pastor, there are times that you look at those moments and you tell yourself, if I say this, somebody's going to get offended. It could cost me members of the church. It could cause a internet storm that might cause people to start boycotting our church or start putting our church in a negative light. Is it really worth it? And if God's telling you say it, then yeah, it's worth it. This is a reminder to all believers. I don't care if you're a leader in the church or you're a lay person or an audience member, a visitor, what have you. If you are a Christian believer, proclaiming God's truth will become more and more rejected in the world as we get closer to the return of Christ. The days are going to become more wicked. Evil will become more pervasive. And therefore, the world will become more hostile to the message of God. Okay, that's just all there is to it. So we're not going to find ourselves in any better environment as we move forward where God's message is going to be better received. It's just not going to happen. Will we have an end-time revival? Yes. I believe God's word states that we will have an end-time revival. But it will be in the midst of very, very wicked days. People will become born again during the tribulation period even. 
But look what I just said. That's the tribulation period. Jesus says there will be a time like no other. Ever before, ever after. The tribulation period is going to be very evil, very wicked, very intense. But there will be salvation. There will be revival. So we just need to go ahead and understand right now that God's word will be rejected at large. But there will be those who do repent of sin, come to the Lord, and yea and amen. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to win the lost, those that are willing to come before Christ and repent of sin. And those that have repented of sin, now we need to disciple them and progress them in their maturation in Christianity. Right, and with that, I don't want to lose step or focus with the agenda for tonight. So tonight we're still talking about how we have church. So if you're sitting in the seat or you're on stage, if you're the worship leader or the pastor or the youth pastor or whatever hat you get to wear, or you're just simply filling a seat, this all applies to you. You don't get to say, oh, well, I'm not the pastor. I'm not the one teaching. So I don't need to worry about this part of it. No, because when you leave the church, you're still a witness for Christ in public. And this still applies to you. The only thing that doesn't apply to you is the part that said, brothers, not many of you should be teachers because we get judged strictly. That's the only part that you could say, not for me. But everything else, this still applies to you. And this still goes into the question of how do you church? What are you thinking about when you're in church? What are you trying to get out of church? Because your focus should be going to church and while you're in church and coming out of church and after church and in between church should be the idea of fellowshipping with God and spending time with him in both parts. One, both in worshiping him, but in two, listening to what he would say to you and how he would guide you and how he would lead you. Both are fellowshipping with him. Both of those are time spent with God. And both of those are your assignment, whether you're on stage or off stage. Exactly. And the other part is what it's not. It's not about ourselves. So it is about the fellowship with God. It's not about pleasing or satisfying ourselves. First John chapter one, verses one through three says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So this is one of Jesus Christ's closest apostles. He is saying, we've seen, we've heard, we've interacted with, and yes, it is the fellowship. It is our fellowship with our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yay and amen. That's what it's all about. We don't go to church to satisfy ourself, to have our preferences met and we want our ears tickled and we want to be entertained and we want to be satisfied in a, in a way of saying, man, that was a good service because I love that song and my pastor's hilarious. Oh, where did the time go? So I have a question. How will you worship God and how will you receive God's instruction at church next Sunday? 
how will you go in there and do that? What does that look like for you now? What mindset will you have? What will be your focus? How will you ensure that, God, I am going to sing songs of praise audibly, corporately to you? And God, I'm going to listen with everything I have to hear your instruction directly to me. It's not about somebody that should have been here. Oh, I wish my brother was here. Oh, I wish my sister was here. I wish my mother-in-law was here. No, it's about you. You're here. You're listening. What are you going to do to receive the full instruction that God would have for you? And with that said, there's another thing that we need to consider here. Can it be done in the church that you attend? Is your church doctrinally sound? Now, the purpose of this episode tonight is not to get into doctrine and things of that nature. So I'm not trying to unpack all that, but it's a necessary question because if you're in a church that's not doctrinally sound, then you're not going to be able to receive sound instruction. So that's for you to get in God's word and make sure that that's all lined up. If it is lined up, then the previous question is back in effect. How will you worship God and how will you receive God's instruction at church next Sunday? Remember, church isn't all about you. So I hope this episode leaves you better. I hope this episode leaves you in a position that you're going to go in better prepared to worship our God and then receive our God's instruction so that you'll be a more effective member in God's kingdom on this planet before he returns. So we'll be praying for you. Please be praying for us. If you, again, think that someone needs to hear this episode, please share it. And until next time, God bless everyone.